Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Uh, those verses, let's, let's look at the, G, the verses that talk about the Jesus that we like, right? And, and so we're going to break down some of these things all the way through Easter. So we started and we said, if we're going to look at all these things about Jesus, then there has to be some sort of foundation as to why we're putting so much emphasis on the things that Jesus said and did. So ground, ground zero was, was this, who does Jesus say that he is? And so two weeks ago, we, we went through this and we looked at Jesus referring to himself as people would call him the Christ, the Messiah, uh, or Jesus, which in, in Hebrew means Savior. They would call him all of these things, but Jesus always seemed to turn the tables and, and call himself the Son of Man. Uh, and we looked at what all of this meant with the Son of Man, and we went back to Daniel chapter 7, and we saw that Daniel had a vision of the Son of Man who was a human but was, was elevated to God status, who, who was somebody who was both man and God all at the same time. So we established that Jesus was saying that he is God in the flesh. Uh, he's, he's 100% man, he's 100% God. And so based on that, everything that Jesus says then has a certain weight that nobody else can hold, right? What Jesus says and does is far more important than anything that I say or do. Uh, and when Jesus does things, we know that they're done in perfection as opposed to ourselves looking at, well, is that what he meant to do? Is, you know, and all these other questions that surround us. So that's, that's kind of our baseline there. And then last week, uh, we had Pastor Frank from the Lamore campus come out, and he preached on the blessedness of bankruptcy. Uh, and he looked at some confusing things that Jesus said, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, and, and all these things that he said that, that just kind of don't really seem to make sense. And so we're going to go from that this week then into, there was a time that, a lot of times actually, that the people had questions for Jesus. And Jesus would answer those questions and, and a lot of times it would seem like, oh, hold on, Jesus, you, I think you missed my question. No, you missed my answer. And, and so, so that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning, is we're going to break down a time when Jesus was questioned, and, and his answer doesn't seem to really line up, uh, but at the same time, it has so much more to do with what they're asking than even what they thought the answer should have been would have had to do with it. And so we're going to start this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into the book of Mark, chapter 12, and we're going to camp out in chapter 12 for, for pretty much all of the service. Uh, there are going to be a few other verses that we're going to look at, but uh, hold your finger there in Mark chapter 12. This is mostly what we're going to look at this morning. And so starting out in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he being Jesus, that he answered them well, he asked them, he asked Jesus, which of the commandments is the most important of all? So here's the question, right? Which of the commandments is the most important? So now let me give you a little bit of backstory on what all is going on here, right? Uh, so Jesus has just done this typical Jesus thing where he's given a parable. He speaks in a sort of a riddle in a sense uh, to, to, the, to the Jews and, and allows them to decipher the true things about the kingdom of God through a parable, uh, and, and as what is typical in this, this sense is when a preacher speaks, well, then not that this has ever happened to me, uh, but, but the religious elite, or, or so they think, they always have questions afterwards. They always have to go to the preacher afterwards and say, hey, I think your theology is a little bit mixed up here. Let me, let me set you straight. And, uh, and so that's what happens to Jesus. We've got these people who are called the scribes, the Pharisees, 
uh, and, and we also have the Sadducees. And each one of them take their turn with Jesus. Now, what you have to understand is what they're doing when they come to Jesus. Okay, this guy's saying that he's God. We obviously know that he's not. So we're going to prove this. So we're going to give them the tough questions. We're going to give them the questions that hopefully nobody asks us, right? And if this guy really is God, then he's going to know the Old Testament in a way that he can blow these questions out of the water. But we know that won't happen. So the first thing that happens is the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, so, so check this out. So the Romans are oppressing us, right? Us being God's chosen holy people. And here come the Romans who, who are oppressing us. They're mistreating us. They're abusing the people of God, okay? And now they're asking for taxes from us, right? Now, this might sound familiar to some of us, but uh, so they're asking for taxes from us, and then they're using that money to oppress us even more. So Jesus, should we pay taxes? And so, and so you see the, the kind of tension here in this question, right? Well, well, then Jesus answers that question, and then now the, the Sadducees come up, and okay, the, the Pharisees couldn't get them, but the Sadducees, we'll, we'll get them. And the Sadducees, uh, if, if you don't know, the Sadducees didn't believe in any sort of a resurrection, which is a pretty big deal in Christianity, right? And so the Sadducees come up to Jesus, and they're like, okay, so Old Testament law says that if there's a married couple and the husband dies, his brother is then supposed to marry uh, the widow and take care of her. That way she stays taken care of. So Jesus, what if this happens seven times? So then in your supposed resurrection, who she's married to? And Jesus again answers this question. After he, he finishes absolutely schooling these people, well, now the scribes have a question. And that's when they come up and they ask him this question here. Which of the commandments is the most important of all? Right? So, uh, so how many commandments are there? Bingo, 10 commandments, right? So, so this is what they're asking. Jesus, there are 10 commandments that were given to us in the book of Exodus. So which of these 10 is the most important? Now, now think about this for a second. This is an easy place to trip Jesus up because, because we've got commandments in here, things like remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But we've also got things like don't kill people, right? So which of these is more important? And, and it would be easy for us to say, well, murdering people is obviously a pretty big deal, right? But God equally established the Sabbath, and he said it was important, and he punished Israel for not keeping the Sabbath. So, so whatever Jesus picks, there's, there's this scale that, that is, is holding a weight that there's no way Jesus can get this right. The, the, or the scribes know this is how we're going to trip Jesus up. He's going to pick one of the Ten Commandments, and then we got him. So they ask him, which of the commandments is the most important of all? And then Jesus does this really strange thing. Jesus doesn't pick any of the Ten Commandments. Jesus answered, the most important is, and so all of them are waiting, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this right here, in and of itself, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. They know exactly where he's gone. He's in Deuteronomy now. They're waiting for one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says this, and this might sound familiar to you. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And so the scribes are waiting for Jesus to pick one of the Ten Commandments, and they've got him as soon as he picks one. And Jesus doesn't pick any of the Ten Commandments. 
And so instead, Jesus pulls this on him, and this is what the Jews, and this is why I say they would have known this. Anybody in the land of Israel, every single person there would have known exactly what Jesus was quoting. This is, this is what's known to us as the Shema. And so this is really familiar uh, to the Jewish people, the Shema. This is a prayer that they pray twice a day. So when they wake up in the morning, they'll, they'll get up and they'll, they'll say this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then before they go to bed at night, they'll get down and they'll pray again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So as soon as Jesus starts this, they know exactly what he's referencing. This is something everybody knows. This is something they quote twice a day. They know this. And so uh, this prayer, like I mentioned, can be found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this is what Jesus is quoting. And so the, the first word, what's the first word in this prayer? Does anybody remember? I've said it a couple times. Here. So in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for hear is shema, to hear or to listen. And so that's the whole principle of this prayer here, right? Uh, now, what's interesting about the Hebrew language is they don't have a separate word for obey. So the idea is that when you hear something that dictates that you will respond to what you're hearing, right? So an example of this is, is when you go into the book of Psalms and you, and you hear the psalmist saying, listen to me, God, because this is my anguish. This is all the things going wrong in my life. What good does it do us if God just hears us complaining and it stops there, right? <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I really hope that I don't serve a God who just hears and wants nothing to do with what's going on in my life. No, the, the idea is, God, hear what I'm saying and answer my prayer. Take this, take this to the next level. So, so in this prayer, hear, O Israel, hear what I'm going to say and listen to the way that I'm telling you to love. This should transform your life. This is, everything is going to hinge on this. And so when Jesus reads this, it's, it's as if he's saying, listen up, listen up. This is what's going on. First and foremost, you serve the one and only true God. Now, based on this, and then he starts to break down into this passage. And so, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start breaking down into this passage in Mark chapter 12. So in verse 30 of our text, right here at the very beginning, and you shall love the Lord your God. So, so let's break this down a little bit. Actually, first, we have this, this phrase here, and what? You shall, right? So, so if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, this is a command, right? They ask Jesus, what's the most important command? Well, this is, you shall, you better do this. This is, this is not a suggestion, in other words. And then he starts to break down. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God. And he's going to break down what this looks like. But, but first, I mean, we toss around this word love a lot, right? I mean, so to give you an example, uh, I love hockey, right? That's my sport. Football really doesn't matter. I don't care what country you're from and what football you're talking about. Still doesn't matter. Hockey's what's up. That's my thing. I love hockey. Uh, I also love spaghetti, okay? Um, I love my wife. I love my daughter, I also love the feeling of tearing that shrink wrap off of a brand new iPhone box. I mean, that's just, mm. if, I, if I could afford it, I'd buy those just to open the boxes. I'm telling you guys. Uh, now, now, so do I love spaghetti the same way I love my wife? No. Okay, I'm glad you guys said no. I was worried for a little bit. 
No, I, I don't, right? Do I love opening iPhone boxes the same way I love my daughter? No. And, and, and of course not. And Jesus was specific about this. Uh, in, in the Greek language, which we won't get into that and break it down, but Jesus was specific about the kind of love he was talking about. It wasn't a love for spaghetti. It wasn't a love for hockey, any of those kinds of things. Uh, this is sacrificial love. This is love that costs you something. And so I, I shouldn't tell this story because it makes me look like a really bad husband. And I have a platform to tell you guys how great of a husband I am, but I'm going to be honest with you for a little bit. And so, so concerning hockey. So I play hockey on Monday nights in Visalia, and uh, I just play in a little rec league over there, and that's, that's my thing. And so um, I don't know if, if from the past couple weeks you guys might have noticed that I wear glasses, um, real glasses, prescription glasses that I uh, take really good care of, actually, mind you. And I genuinely can't see like anything right now. So um, yeah, I wear glasses normally. That's uh, that's a normal thing for me, and now my microphone's messed up. Um, so when I'm not wearing glasses, I'm wearing contacts. Now when I'm playing hockey, and I'm wearing a hockey helmet, glasses are not ideal. So I wear contacts. So this last Monday, I get there, and I'm walking into the rink, and I notice something. I notice these black circles around my eyes that hold these prescription lenses in. I don't have my contacts. This is a problem. So I text my wife and I complain to her that I forgot my contacts and I'm figuring out, you know, maybe, maybe I can fit my glasses into my helmet or something. Maybe I just play blind. I don't know. Like, maybe people will think I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I complain to my wife that I'm missing my contacts. And so she rounds up the baby, the one and a half year old, grabs my contacts, gets in the car, drives from Hanford to Visalia for my 9 p.m. rec hockey game that nobody really cares about, including the people who are there playing it. And she just gets up and brings me my contacts. And then I don't have a mirror or anything to put them in, so she's got to hold her phone up for me while I'm trying to put contacts in. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole different story. But, I mean, tell me my wife doesn't love me, right? This is... When you're rounding up a one-and-a-half-year-old, when you're driving from Hanford or Visalia at 9 p.m., that's a, that's a sacrificial love, right? I mean, what did she have to gain in this? She had everything to lose. I don't, I don't know. Those of you who haven't had kids may not be aware that if you start to get your kid to fall asleep and then allow that kid to wake up again, sorry, try again tomorrow, right? That's, that's how kids work. And so... You know, here's the key here. To this kind of love, that which costs you nothing is worth nothing. So, so this is why Jesus is talking about, he's putting so much weight on this being a sacrificial love. That, that if you don't sacrifice anything in your, your relationship with God himself, how much is he really worth to you? If you don't sacrifice anything to your family members, how much are they really worth to you? Guys, listen. I have never, probably will never, sacrifice for spaghetti, okay? I will always sacrifice for my wife and daughter. I will always sacrifice for Jesus, my Savior. And, and there's a mutual sacrifice here. How much has he done for me? How could I not pay him back? And the same for my wife, the way she sacrificially loves me. How could I not sacrificially love her back? This isn't a one-sided relationship. 
God calls us to be in just as much relationship with him as he is with us. So this, is, this, this word love here and this idea of sacrificial love, everything that Jesus breaks down from here hinges on the understanding of that. That the way we love God with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength hinges on sacrificial love. What does it cost you? And so Jesus starts to break this down in Mark 12, verse 30. And he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so the the biblical understanding of loving somebody with all of your heart is actually remarkably complex, uh, but I'm going to try and break it down and make it simple uh, for for brevity's sake this morning so that I don't keep you guys here all morning. So to to love something with all of your heart is this. It's to love something passionately to pour your passions into something, to redirect passions. See, I'm, I'm passionate about hockey, not as much as I used to be. Uh, you used to be able to find me screaming at the TV, yelling at the players because they can hear me all the way in Anaheim, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but I know what needs to be done, and I'm passionate about it, and I feel something about it. When I go and play on Monday nights, if I lose, right? I'm passionate about it. But if I could redirect that passion to things that actually matter, redirect the things about my heart to things that actually matter. Now your passions, they could be things like finances. They could be uh, relationships. It could be an upcoming event. This could be uh, trials. It could be mistakes. It could be uh, broken family. Now, Now this is to break this down, to help you to understand this. What is it when you lay your head down at night to go to sleep? What is on your mind? What is it then that you are thinking about? When you're sitting in a restaurant staring out the window, not looking at anything out the window, but staring out the window, what is it that's on your mind? What is it that consumes you, right? That's where your passion is. That's what you're passionate about. And so all sorts of things uh, try to sneak into our lives and dictate our passions, but Jesus is, is working to kind of redirect this. So remember, we're talking about the heart right? Uh, so, so we're going to break down a, a couple different verses here that help us understand what this looks like. So in the book of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus helps us break this down. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. And so, so what this is unpacking is, is where your passion is, where your time is, where your energy is, where your finances are, the things that you're pouring out of your life, where those things are, that's where your heart is. That's what you're passionate about. And so, so I look at this, and, and at my last job, uh, I, I worked with a girl who was going to college to become a teacher, and she was passionate about becoming a teacher. How do I know this? Well, because in our little retail store, whenever there were no customers around, whenever it got slow, I would see her pull all sorts of paperwork out of a backpack. She'd pull a laptop out of her backpack, and she'd start going to work on math because she wants to be a math teacher for some reason. Like, I don't know. I don't get math, but that's, that's why I do Bible stuff. We don't do math in seminary. It's fantastic. Uh, but so, so she would keep doing math, and, and she's doing all this homework and all this prep and everything to become a teacher. Why? Because her heart wasn't in the retail store that she was working at. Her mind was somewhere else. Well, let, me, let me bring this home a little bit for you. Have you ever known someone who, as you're trying to have a conversation with them, as you're trying to get to know them, uh, they have one of these things. 
and they're right? And you're, you're trying to have a conversation. You're trying to connect with this person, but their heart isn't there. Their heart is somewhere else with some other person or in some other fantasy or, or whatever. Their passion lies elsewhere. That which they put their time, their energy, and their money into dictates their heart. And so, you know, Jesus is saying that the the first part of loving him is for all of this to be directed to him. Give all of your time to him, all of your energy to him, all of your passion to him, all of your money to him, right? Sorry, this is church. We don't don't like to talk about money in church. Uh, Unless, of course, maybe you're uncomfortable because that's where your passion is. That's where your heart is. But that's, that's neither here nor there. No, Jesus said all of these things belong to him. Let me, let me put this in, in reference for you guys. My wife has complete access to my bank account. We, we share all of the same money. You know who else wants access to my bank account? Jesus does. Now, he's not going to take it all from me and, and just be like, sorry, you're homeless, figure it out. He's, he's not saying give it all to the church. He's not saying give it all to the pastor. He's saying just let me be Lord of your finances. Let me be Lord of your time. Let me be Lord of your energy and of your passion. That's step one of loving God with everything. That's step one of fulfilling the commandments. So the next one, back in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and next with all your soul. Uh, so, so your soul, it's kind of a weird idea, right? Uh, this is, it sounds sort of mystic. It sounds like a really religious thing, right? Your soul. Uh, what, what exactly is that? What is your soul? Well, I'll start out this way. If you've asked the question, what is your soul? You've missed it, right? You're, you're asking the wrong question already. It's actually far more simple than that. Uh, every single person in this room, not one of you has a soul. Okay? You have a body. You are a soul. Okay? So nobody has a soul. You are a soul. So when, when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, what is that? That's you. That's everything that you take in. That's everything that pours out of you. It should be directed to loving God. And so when I was in kindergarten, all the way back in kindergarten, we had one of those days that asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? I mean, we're kindergartners. What does everybody want to be when they grow up when they're in kindergarten? They want to be police. They want to be firefighters. They want to be astronauts because those are the three cool jobs, apparently. Pastoring's not one of them. I don't, I don't know how that worked out. But no, these are the three cool jobs. And, and, but I, I, I actually sat down. I was like, no, I want to answer this question. What, I've never thought about this before. I'm in kindergarten, right? What do I want to be when I grow up? Well, my teacher's really cool. I like my teacher. Maybe I want to be a teacher when I grow up. And this was just kind of a faint idea back then. But at the same time, it was more than idea, an idea. Because as I started growing up, as I started developing, guess what I loved doing? I loved teaching. It, see, this, this wasn't just an idea. This was something about my soul. This, this was intertwined with my DNA. This is the way that God created me. This is my soul to teach. Now, here's the question. Do I or do I not love God with the way that I teach? See, because I could have become a, pa- a teacher without ever becoming a pastor. I, I, I could have left all of this behind me, and I, I probably could have done a lot more for myself had I done that, right? And so, so the question is, the way that you're wired, the way that you're designed, the things that define you, 
How do you love God with those things? And so the Old Testament word for soul is this word nephesh. And it's a really weird word, actually. Hebrew is a weird language, guys. Like, I'm not great at it. I'm going to be honest with you. Hebrew is weird. And so this word nephesh, which is translated soul, literally means throat. <laughs> okay? So the idea here, though, is that everything that, that you take in, everything that pours out of you, everything that is your life, if something happens to your throat, that can be catastrophic to your life, right? And so this is, this is the idea here. Now, to unpack this a little bit, back in the book of Genesis, God takes a whole bunch of dirt, right? And he shapes it. He puts it together, and there's left a body there. It's not a person yet. It's not a human yet, but there's a body. And then the writer of Genesis tells us that God breathed into that person's nostrils, and he became a living man. And that was Adam. That's your, in other words, Genesis says that God breathed nephesh into the man, and he became a living person. The nephesh is the soul. It's who you are. So, so all this means is the things that define you, all the things that you consume, all the things that you pour out, the things that are unique about you that nobody else has. How do you love God with those things? How do you redirect those to God and, and couple that with loving God with all of your heart? How do you redirect those with your passions to pour back into God? And so Jesus moves on from here. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so now this, this one should hopefully be pretty clear to us, right? We know what our mind is. This, is. this is where the intellect sits. This is where all the things that we think come from. Uh, so, but this can actually be pretty deep. So we're going to run through a couple passages real quick, and, and we're going to try and get through this and, and look at what it means to love God with all of your mind. So jumping back first into the, the book of Psalm, chapter 119, verses 15 and 16. The psalmist writes, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so this is, this is the first piece of, of knowing and loving God with all of your mind is, is to know his word. Because see, we've got this, this God who is is above all things. He's beyond everything. Uh, he's unknowable. He's unsearchable. And so, so what can we really know about him? Whatever he reveals to us. So how did he reveal himself to us? Through his word. And he's asking, guys, I just want you to know these things. And, and so I look at this, and, and this is memorization, right? We, we don't love memorizing things in the Bible. It's it's not a super fun time, but, uh, but I've honestly learned to love memorizing the Bible. Why? Because the process that it takes to memorize a passage, I have to meditate on it. I have to go over it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it takes way too long, right? But I get to meditate on it. And as I'm meditating on it, things start to become clear to me that may have not been clear the first time I read it. God starts to step in and say, okay, now let me show you what I was saying here. Let me show you the meat of this passage. And this whole not forgetting thing, well, that, that's just memorization, right? <laughs> you don't forget things you've memorized. And so, so this is step one. Now, then we've got Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your 
mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so once you know the word of God, the, the next step then is to say, okay, how am I going to, to allow this to change the trajectory of my life? What am I going to change about myself? What am I going to change about the way that I think? And then Paul actually breaks this down a little bit more for us in the book of Philippians. What does a renewed mind look like? This is what you should be thinking about. Philippians 4 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Guys, this world is depressing, right? I mean, I think we can all agree we live in a depressing world world. If, if you're not aware, turn on the news for five minutes. I don't think it'll even take you the full five minutes to get this one figured out, right? But, but Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Stop focusing on all the negative. Stop focusing on all the fear. Stop focusing on all of the things that drag you down. Instead, whatever is good, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's just, whatever are the things that define God himself, Allow these things to consume your mind. And renewing your mind just means that as your mind starts to drift and you get negative again, say, oh, no, 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 I'm coming back. As, as you start to drift again, no, 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 no. Focus on the good things. Focus on the good things, right? Not that this side's better than that side. It's just, it's an illustration, guys. It's fine. You guys are good too. It's great. Uh, so, so to love God with all of your mind is to allow him to shape the way that you perceive the world. Have you heard the saying, perception is reality? The, the idea is that if your perception is depressing and dark and bleak, reality itself is depressing and dark and bleak. But if your perception is, man, God is still on his throne, God is still in control, I still live in a really easy to live in society, things could be so much worse, but God is taking care of me. And you know what? All of this evil that's happening, God's going to handle all of it. He's got all of this under control. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. He's got all of this under his control, and I get to have a front row seat at watching him eliminate all the darkness from the world. Mm, life is good. Life is good. Right? And so, so you're allowing to God to change the way that you think, to change the things that you think about. And so this, this last one here in Mark chapter 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Uh, so this is, this is the good stuff, loving God with all of your strength. So what does this look like? Um, so when I read this, my first thought is, well, hopefully God's not expecting much, because uh, I don't know if y'all have noticed. I'm not exactly jacked. I'd like to get there. But exercise is just awful, right? It's just, it's not my thing. Uh, so, I mean, if, if anybody finds a way to get there and, and to not have to exercise, that's cool. Uh, but no, 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 this is, so loving my wife, what does loving my wife look like? Loving my wife looks like opening pickle jars. That's why she married me, because she needed somebody to open the pickle jars, right? And not with those silly, like, round rubber things that you can put on the lid, like, Let's, let's stop making those things because the more, the easier pickle jars get to open, the less my wife needs me. Like, let's be real. These are, we can get rid of those things and as long as I can keep opening the pickle jars, we're good. Uh, <laughs> no, this is, what this is is serving, is, is putting yourself in a position to use what you have to benefit others. Here in this life, in the physical realm, to benefit others, to sacrifice self 
and love others. So, so Jesus actually breaks this down, and he says, he tells these people, he says, yeah, remember when you guys visited me in prison? When you guys fed me when I was hungry? When you guys came to visit me in the hospital when I was sick? Remember all of that? And everybody's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And he says, when you did this to the least of these, you did this to me. So how do you love God with all of your strength? You love the least of these. You serve the least of these. You, you sacrifice what you yourself would want, what would benefit you, with, with taking all of the rest of these things and pouring them out to somebody else so that you love God with all of your heart by changing your passions to be passionate about God and about his people, about the people he created. Uh, you love God with all of your soul by, by changing uh, the, the way that, that you direct the things that, are, that you're designed for. You take those things you're designed for and you say, I'm going to direct these towards God. You love God with all of your mind by allowing him to change the way you perceive reality. And then all of these flow out into loving God with your strength, which is going to your neighbors out here in community and saying, hey, I, I have no idea who you are. And I cannot even begin to express how much I love you. But let's not stop there. Let me show you how much I love you. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? And so... Here's the question then. Loving God with all of your strength does not look like coming to church and sitting in a pew every Sunday. Now that's great. You should come to church. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about that in chapter 10. That's, that's great. But it doesn't end there. So here's my question then. If, if loving God with all of your strength doesn't look like coming to church and sitting in the pews or sitting in Bible study, then what are you doing to love God with all of your strength? What is there in your life that you can point to and say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to love God with all of my strength. It goes way beyond Sunday mornings to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, one more thing that Jesus hits on in verse 30, and he closes up with this, and Jesus says, and just in case all of that wasn't enough for you guys, the second one is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, now, how do we love ourselves? Usually pretty well, right? I mean, yesterday, I, I helped my wife move out of her studio uh, where she was working at the time, and I mean, that was a lot of hard work. That was really sacrificial and great of me. And uh, no, but, but then I get home. My wife wants ice cream. And again, this is going to make me sound like a terrible husband, but I'm going to go for it anyway. So she wants to go to Superior Dairy for ice cream, right? And I'm like, no, we really can't afford superior dairy. So I go home and I get my ice cream out of the fridge or out of the freezer because ice cream's on my mind. And I've got like a little personal tub, right? I'm just sitting on the couch eating ice cream. Like she wanted to go to superior dairy. And, but how do I love myself? I always get what I want, right? I know how to love myself. And Jesus is saying all of these things, if you could just direct those to somebody else, direct those to your neighbors, which is more than just the person that lives next door to you which is, I picked a corner a lot for that reason, so I'd only have one neighbor, and now Jesus is telling me it's more than that. I don't know how that works, but I mean, so, so this is, they want to know, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now let's break this down real quick. 
The Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods before God. Well, that's wrapped up in loving God with, with everything, right? Uh, don't make or bow down to idols. If you love God, you won't do that. Uh, don't carry the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Respect your father and mother. Uh, don't murder people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false evidence against your neighbor. Don't be envious of your neighbor. If you love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself, you don't have anything to worry about, right? You got all these things handled. Now, here's the problem, and I'll finish with this. Jesus makes this so simple, but we can't do it. I have never been able to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I am not great at loving my neighbor as myself. I mean, if I make mistakes loving my wife as myself, what does that mean for the rest of my neighbors, right? So somebody else had to do that. Somebody else had to come in and show me how. And that's Jesus, guys. Jesus came in, and, and look at his relationship with the Father. He did this perfectly. Look at the way that he loved the other people around him. Tell me that Jesus didn't sacrifice. Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice, right? And so, so if you're here this morning, I mean, step one is relationship with Jesus. And if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to get the rest of this. You're not going to be able to keep these, these laws, which, which God says, hey, if you want to make it to heaven, I got these laws for you, right? If, if you don't want to go to the bad place, I got these laws. But we can't keep them. So he sent Jesus to do it instead. Jesus kept all of these laws, and then in spite of being perfect, the Romans crucified him because God still needed, he's a just God, somebody's got to pay the penalty. And so Jesus did that on the cross. And Jesus said, hey guys, I did all that for you. Accept that I did it for you. That's all I'm asking. You accept that. I'm giving you a gift, you accept it. Just I mean, pray to me, accept the gift, believe that I died and rose again from the grave for you. And then from there, I'm going to take your hand and we're going to work through this. I'm, I'm going to work you into these things. It's going to take time. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to work these things into you. And if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's the process now. That Jesus is walking you through these things. I mean, has anybody here ever done something and thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have done that, right? Guess who's telling you that? <laughs> there's, there's somebody up there saying, hey, Mm. you know, maybe you shouldn't have had that ice cream by yourself, Seth. Like, maybe that's not loving your neighbor as yourself, right? And so he takes us through this process of what it likes to love him. Now, here's the thing, guys. Nobody here is going to be perfect at this tomorrow. Nobody here is going to look at, what does it mean to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does it mean to look like to, to love my neighbor as myself? And nobody's going to leave and be perfect at it tomorrow. So before we leave this morning, I have one question for you. What can you do, what one thing can you do to improve your relationship with Jesus so that it's better tomorrow than it is today? Pick one thing. What one thing can you do to make your relationship with Jesus better tomorrow than it is today? God, thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you for uh, this time together as a church so that we could look into your word, so that we could glean from it, and so that we can, hopefully each of us can grow closer to you, uh, that, that we can know you better, that we can love you better, and that we can exemplify uh, the people who you've created us to be. 
And we ask that as we take all of this, uh, that, that we could love you in a way that it would pour back out into our community, that, that it would happen in a way uh, that, that the rest of everybody who drives by this church, everybody who looks at this church, everybody who walks by this church would begin to see that we are a people who are passionate about our God, that we're a people who believe in a God who came and lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and, and then came back three days later declaring uh, his love for us, declaring that the grave could not keep him down, declaring that he has already won. He is the victory. And, and I pray that we could take all of this, that, that we could sit on this, and that it would cause us to move, that it would cause us uh, to be active Christians, that it would cause us uh, to love this world in a way that they have never seen love before. God, I ask for your power. I ask for your boldness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week.